Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon, and I do a show called The Stories We Live By. And today's show is entitled The Sad Story of Psychiatry, Clinical Psychology, and Clinical Social Work. And what makes these siblings, uh, in fact, quarrelsome siblings, a lot of, of, of uh, uh, arguing between these siblings, well, what makes these siblings sad is that they don't have a home. They're kind of like orphans. They don't belong anywhere, and they don't know where they belong. Uh, they're unable to figure out where they belong. And, and um, at the same time, they don't even have the right words for who they are and what it is that they do. Now, let me back this up. Anybody who's been listening to my show uh, knows that this is not a new theme. Although, uh, when I finished my book, which, by the way, uh, Psychotherapy and the Stories We Live By, From Authoritarianism to Democracy, From Psychiatric Diagnosis to... Uh, Narratives of human experiences uh, can be prepaid for, pre-bought on uh, Amazon under the name Lawrence Simon, Ph.D. Um, I will make further announcements and I'll discuss the book, uh, which is my story. It is basically a professional autobiography or memoir, which took me from the time I believed that mental illnesses were real and the fantasy that someday maybe I would be the one to find a therapeutic cure for schizophrenia or uh, serious what were called mental illnesses, what are called mental illnesses. In any event, um, what I wanted to talk about was what was, came after this, this, um, the book. And I realized I needed a sixth chapter or maybe... Uh, I'll do enough of these broadcasts and people can come on and discuss it with me. I can write another book. What makes these professions so sad is that they're all based and, and, and depend upon medical language, pseudo-medical language, to define what they are, uh, how they help the people who come for help, uh, what represents progress, what represents a lack of progress. There are, as I have said so many times, and in my book I discuss, I think, better than I've ever discussed it before, there are no such things as mental illnesses. They just don't exist. Yes, there are all kinds of behavior that we could agree or not agree are screwed up behavior, there are all kinds of, of patterns of adjustment to the world, which are really not good adjustments in the sense that they bring around the same misery, the same uh, broken relationships, the same self-harm over and over again, um, because the individual really doesn't understand the nature of what they're caught up in, and they have no way of analyzing the story that guides their behavior to see that it's self-destructive and destructive to others in a number of ways. But when we see these behaviors, we need something to call them. We don't say they're screwed up. Uh, calling someone crazy 
Uh, it doesn't help because that's a meaningless word. Uh, when we say that somebody's crazy, all we're really saying is it makes no sense to me what they're doing, and it makes no sense, uh, and, and, and it's not a good behavior. It's not something said that's good. It's not a clear thought. Uh, there's confusion, there's great depression, there's anxiety that impedes any kind of, of uh, action that would, we would agree represents mental health, which, by the way, doesn't exist either. All of these terms, such as mental illness or mental health, are judgments about either unwanted behavior, unwanted patterns of thinking, unwanted emotional expression, or the reverse, wanted, either by an observer or by the individual, him or herself, the individuals themselves. But they have nothing to do in and of themselves with medicine, and as I've said 500 times, if there really are brain problems that can be demonstrated to explain these behaviors, then they're not mental mental behaviors, or they're not um, um, psychologically meaningful, they're not mental illnesses, or somebody we admire is not mentally healthy, because it has nothing to do with medicine. These are judgments posing, posing as medical. And that's why they're called mental illnesses, and not regular medical illnesses. So behavior in and of itself can't be an illness, no matter how we find it confusing or disturbing or disgusting it, 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 or, or immoral. The term mental illness is a misnomer. It's a lie. And the sad story of psychiatry and clinical psychology and social work is they all depend upon a lie to justify what it is they say they're going to do to help a person who comes to them in confusion, in anxiety, in depression, uh, in, with broken relationships, with no real understanding of how things keep working out the same crappy, awful way over and over again. Right? The last time something like this happened where an entire population referred to unwanted behavior with a lie, it was during the Inquisition. Most of the people, and there were millions, were put to death, tortured to death uh, by the church in Europe uh, because their behavior, somebody didn't like their behavior. Either it was peculiar or the fact that most of the people who were killed uh, to save their souls were women. Women were the victims. Um, and all it took was somebody to say, that person is a witch. They are inhabited by the devil. They are doing the devil's work. was for most of the population to immediately fall into line and say, that is a witch. And just as if you're declared mentally ill, if you were declared a witch, the more you denied being a witch, just as if denying that you're mentally ill, is more proof that you were a witch, that you couldn't see the truth 
of the charges brought against you. Or in this case, the more you tell a psychiatrist or a psychologist that you're not mentally ill, that you don't have the problems they say you have, if they tell you the problems that you have, then, then, then it's proof you're mentally ill. You can't win. You really can't win. When these women, mostly women, were tested, they would be stripped down and they would look for a mark on the body, a mole, uh, a birthmark, a scar, something. And that would be the proof that was needed by the inquisitor that it was the mark of Cain and it was proof that they were, um, they were the devil. They were in league with the devil. They were a witch or, or in the male case, a warlock. They were possessed. Um, they would stick pins in them. They would stick needles in the breast of a woman, and if they didn't bleed, that was proof. They were dropped into deep water, weighted down with stones, and was just a test of water. If they sank and drowned, it was proof that they were innocent. If they were floated, if they floated back to the surface, that proved that they were possessed. Nobody seemed to ever be not possessed. They were all innocent. They would be burnt at the stake. If they caught fire and died, it proved that they were not possessed. But it was okay because their soul would be released for the miseries of this earth, and they would go directly to heaven. Um, we don't do that kind of cruelty today, but the diagnoses stick in a person's life, and today, what people are offered is some form of treatment. Now, the word treatment is also a misnomer. Psychiatrists more and more and a growing number of psychologists believe the, the, the myth that unwanted behavior and, and, un, and hard to understand patterns of thinking and, and over-emotional expression uh, are, are not caused by some kind of a brain uh, dysfunction, a biochemical upset in the brain. And so while they can never find this, and there is more and more evidence coming out in the newspapers for the public to accept that there is no basis. Nobody has ever found the basis for a medical problem, either genetic or biochemical or brain abnormality, unless you find the brain abnormality. If somebody is uh, hearing voices and you find in the occipital lobe of the brain, or the temporal lobe of the brain, a tumor, and the tumor is removed and the voices stop, then you know that those voices not necessarily were meaningful. Well, they were meaningful in the sense that they're psychological, but they were a real medical problem. They involved a real medical problem. And the reason they disappeared was because of the individual having a tumor removed and the brain restored to something more uh, normal in its functioning. So the treatment is a lie. What psychologists and social workers do is talk to patients. And there was a time when I first came into the field in the 1960s into the 70s uh, that most psychiatrists did not give drugs. They were trained as psychoanalysts in one form or another, and they also talked to their patients. And many times the conversations that were had between uh, the doctor 
or the psychologist and the social worker. Later, the social the psychologist joined uh, after World War II into this this lie, and the social workers a, a decade or so later. Um, and all these people, many of these people were really helped. Uh, the actual theory of the psychoanalysis may not be the reason they were helped. As I've discussed before, I'll say again, when people are put into a safe environment where they feel they could say whatever they want to say, where they're not judged, called names, but more questions are asked about the nature of their beliefs, where they could figure out where they were judging themselves rather than describing themselves, where they feel understood and, and, and valued by another human being. It's a profound experience. And for some, many people who come to help and ask for help, this relationship, when it works out that way, is one of the best and most unusual that they've ever had. And so it helps. The theories behind it and the idea uh, uh, that this is a treatment, the theories are questionable, but that it's not a treatment. Talking to somebody, being sympathetic and understanding and supportive, which is what human beings seem to need to think more clearly, to step outside of the relationships, the authoritarian relationships in which they are simply judged and condemned and put down. Uh, or punished or hit, where they become afraid of ever telling the truth and have to go from lie to lie, ultimately going from lie to lie to others and themselves, lying to themselves. When, when that happens, it's a tremendous relief and a tremendous help. It's not a treatment. There's nothing medical about it. They're not in any effect patients. They don't, I'm not a patient. The whole rigmarole made much more damaging and dangerous when insurance became the main uh, uh, economic engine of, of uh, psychiatry and psychology and social work. Um, because now, in order to be paid, a diagnosis had to be made. Even when a psychologist or somebody didn't want to make a diagnosis, well, that was, you couldn't get paid. And unless you could work out a relationship, which does happen, uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, wealthier people will go to a, ther a person called a therapist, because I have to talk about those the names and, and, and the problem of identity with these fields, um, and, and they will go and, and they are not diagnosed. They don't have to be diagnosed. What's so interesting is that all of these terms, if you strip them away, there were no terms to replace them. Uh, I loved being a teacher, a professor. My relationship with students was that of a teacher-student relationship. It's an understood relationship with the rules of that relationship. Okay? There are different ways of teaching uh, more authoritarian, less authoritarian, but it's a student-teacher relationship, and society has an understanding that while there are differences in the relationships between teachers and students, there are clear rules, right? and, 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 and there are clear objectives and clear goals. There's nothing 
about a lie about this, even though one classroom may be larger or smaller, and one teacher may be more strict and authoritarian, and another more accepting and democratic, but it's an understood relationship. There are parents and children, and while there are many ways of parenting, we understand what the rules are in our society that govern a parent-child relationship. There are doctor-patient relationships. And when I go to a doctor, and now that I am uh, retired and getting old, I go to doctors a lot here in Florida. (laughs) And, and, And there's sets of rules that govern what I am as a patient and what the professional called a physician is in relation to me. And while that varies widely as well, from doctor to doctor, from patient to patient, there are clear rules and we understand what those rules are. There are lawyers and clients, attorneys and clients, and we understand that. What made me so interested, got me so fascinated, is that if we take away all of the language doctor, patient, therapy, psychotherapy, or drug therapy, and you take away the medical terms because they're all based on a lie. There is nothing about medicine in any of these relationships of the psychologist, the social worker, the psychiatrist. They're false terms. If you take away, there are no words to describe that relationship. And I I have these insights. I wake up and I say, wow, Uh, what would would we call it? And in fact, if anybody hears this and you want to get in touch with me, you could send me a message message, uh, through this site. Uh, Or I'll do a show. I'm going to be away for a while. When I come back, I'll set up a show. And I'd be so grateful if anybody could give me words that describe the unique relationship between a psychiatrist, clinical psychologist, or clinical social worker, and the people they work with, and what it should be called. Because it's not treatment, you're not a patient. And by the way, the drugs that psychiatrists give work by disabling normal brain functions, like alcohol does. Um, In another hour and a half, an hour or so, it will be cocktail time. I have a very lovely bottle of uh, of a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc made with organic grapes. Uh, my favorite uh, uh, Sauvignons are from um, uh, New Zealand. But these are really wonderful, very fruity, very dry, terrific, terrific wines. But I feel much better. I can almost watch the news and the horror that I hear going on from our government. I can hear it because I'm less... I'm less anxious, I'm less depressed by what I'm watching because of the alcohol. It makes me feel better. But that's not because I have a brain issue <clears throat> or that I lack alcohol in my brain. In the same way, all of these pills work by disabling normal brain function. And they help a minority of people. They're addictive, and many of the people who get on these drugs despise what it does to them because it not only kills off or makes them numb to some of the unhappiness and anxiety 
And the normal emotions, those are all normal emotions that need to be understood and acted upon appropriately in order for them to be reduced. Um, um, when there is a threat of some kind, we have to recognize the threat. When we don't, we become anxious. The anxiety forces us in a way to recognize that there's something wrong that we're not looking at that we need to know. But if we think we're crazy and we take drugs, it numbs us. But it numbs your sex drive. It numbs being happy. It numbs everything. We're, we're, We're drugging our children insensible if they don't do right in school if they don't quote live up to their potential Um, it's a terrible to me a terrible terrible situation and to many of the people that I know as friends and colleagues but none of us can come up words with words to describe what it is we do now look at some of the unique aspects if you've ever been to therapy uh, what's called therapy you are in control of the relationship. You start the relationship by calling a stranger and talking about personal things you might not talk about to anybody else in your life on the hope and the assumption that it is private. You don't get judged. If you ask for advice, you don't get advice. It's a unique relationship. You end the relationship when you want as the patient. You're the one in control. You're the one who says, this is what I want to talk about. You're the one who refuses to talk about anything that you don't want to talk about. And a good psychotherapist, whether psychiatrist, psychologist, or social worker, uh, and there are many good ones in all, all these three professions, accept that, but will keep pressing and asking questions if they believe and have a sense that what you're not talking about as a patient is really where the source of your confusion, your anxiety, your emotional pain lies. And so ultimately, it's the unique relationship in that it has to be honest. If anything good will come out of these relationships that we call psychotherapy, it's because two people are not only honest with each other, but respectful and supportive and non-judgmental. And it can be wonderful. But what do you call it? So I put out an email. And the only thing that came back was a humorous response from a, a, a woman who said, well, there's a wor- great word that we used to use, head shrink. You went to a head shrinker. Right? Um, so I wrote back, I, yeah, that, that may work. We have a head shrinker and a head shrinky. The problem is, while it's funny, or has humor, it's not a good word. So we have this unique relationship. In all of history, there's never really been a relationship like this. But it's not a parent-child. It's not a teacher-student. It's not a lawyer-attorney-client. It has its own rules. No matter how different it is, how the talk goes, uh, it's unique, it's historically new, and it has no identity. And that's what's the sad part. I know psychiatrists who despise the idea of making diagnoses. And much of what they actually end up doing with their medical training is to help individuals get off psychiatric drugs, make people aware of the dangers of these drugs, 
Uh, and anybody who's listening to this who's been on these drugs and wants to get off, you don't go off cold turkey. You really need medical supervision or some kind of professional supervision coming off these drugs. But no one can tell you not to come off these drugs because this is your decision and your life. Uh, when somebody calls me and I'm not seeing patients anymore, sadly, I probably won't see any more people I call patients ever again. However, uh, and they will say, I want to throw away the pills. And I'll say, only you can find a medical doctor or somebody who can literally well supervise you coming off because you could end up in more psychological and physical damage and trouble because you've been on these things and your body has adapted to them and you basically have a, a, a dependency on them. So I'm talking about now a profession I spent my life, uh, half my life. The other half was as a professor, but there I knew the rules. I was a professor and they were my students. And as time went by, I stopped calling myself a professor because I wasn't just professing. I had to engage my students in discussions. Uh, I taught in the City University of New York during the years of, of uh, after 1970 when we had open admissions. And many of the kids I taught and worked with uh, uh, and adults were not typical students. So I wasn't giving brilliant lectures most of the time. I was teasing ideas out. I was creating good discussions, a lot of which came from what I had learned as uh, what I call myself a therapist. When I was a professor, I did the talking, they did the listening. As a therapist, the individual did the talking and I did the listening and asked questions. And I did that more and more in my classroom, which, by the way, I write about in my book. Uh, my work as a as a therapist impacted how I taught and my teaching impacted uh, how I did my so-called psychotherapy. I'm very glad now I remained in a split kind of professional life. But psychiatrists who do that, they have no place really in medicine. Many of the psychiatrists I have met uh, are, are confused without ever all time uh, understanding the nature of the confusion. If somebody comes into an emergency room and acting strangely, the police bring them in. They run a tox screen to see if they're on drugs. They run a, a blood sugar test to see whether or not they're hypoglycemic. That is, they're, they're pre-diabetic and there's no, not enough blood sugar to maintain the functioning of the brain. And they run a skull series, uh, x-rays or an MRI or, or, or something, to make sure that there is no tumor and only and only when they had ruled out all the possible known physical causes of these strange behaviors do they then call the psychiatrist, who then talks to them and based on their behavior simply makes a diagnosis and writes a prescription. That's it. Unless this is an individual who is trained to do talk therapy and wants to do talk therapy, doesn't pay as well, by the way, uh, when you see somebody, you, you know, a standard session is 45, 50 minutes, and you have to write your notes. You see somebody, and it's been proven over and over again, a psychiatrist will listen to the main complaint that an individual has, and in 12 minutes has the diagnosis and has written a prescription for something. Come back in a month, and we'll talk about what your effects are of the drug. 
much more money, much greater power. Psychologists and social workers, and I know so many of them, who despise making diagnoses but can't earn a living without it. And so if we uh, were to throw over this business of a lie, we find that we don't have a home for ourselves. We don't know what to call ourselves. And therefore, we have a problem with our identity. We have a false identity when we say we're therapists, psychotherapists. Uh, We fight among each other like siblings. But without a home, we're orphans. We're orphan professions. Now, anybody hearing this should not be dissuaded from seeking help if they're suffering and need somebody good to talk to. Um, Find a good psychiatrist if you wish, but make sure that if this individual is going to talk with you, it's not going to be because they immediately are going to put you on some kind of drug. Social workers and psychologists won't do that. They'll talk. Uh, One of the important things for people to do is to recognize that they are citizens of this country. They have a right, and they have a right to to reject the false claim of being mentally ill. As I have written about in my new book and other books, and I've talked about on this show many times before, being told that you are a schizophrenic or you are a schizophrenic or a bipolar, have bipolar disorder or some anxiety problem or depression and being told that this is a mental problem even though it has to do with some unknown chemical biological abnormality in your brain now tells you that you're defective on the one hand and you're going to be defective on the other hand for the rest of your life. And you're going to be a customer of what we refer to as big pharma, uh, who, who are uh, unscrupulous in how they openly lie in their advertising uh, to tell, talk about drugs as if they are a known cure for anything. So I've done a half an hour. Uh, I, don't, I, I invited some of my uh, friends and colleagues to come on the show uh, and talk with me. Uh, I, I would uh, urge many of you to talk to uh, uh, go to my show that I did with uh, uh, the last show, uh, where a psychiatrist, a retired psychiatrist named Lee Coleman, came on with me, and I thought it was a wonderful conversation. And when I wrote to my uh, group, the group that I belong to. Uh, that uh, we need a new name and there's no language and that psychiatry uh, is a serious historical mistake. It's a mistake. These are individuals who go to medical school and never practice real medicine. It's sad for them. Um, uh, And more and more, the way they have their power and and, and they make their money is by selling drugs uh, pushing drugs in the case because they're not really medicines as far as I can see and, and many of my colleagues can see. Um, and others, they don't want to come public. To come, anyway, Dr. Coleman came on uh, on an email and it said to me, I agree with you. It was a mistake. The whole field is a mistake. Uh, 
What to do about that? I don't know. Uh, although this show goes out in many places in the world, and I try to tell people if you're going to thinking about becoming a patient, reject the term patient. You are an individual who may be confused, who has things that maybe they need to learn. And while it's not a teacher-student relationship, uh, if you have a, my definition of a good therapist, they will talk with you and ask questions, pointed questions. It'll be kind of a Socratic dialogue. Uh, and you may figure out things and form a relationship with somebody that will respect you, especially if you demand respect. And, and it'll be per, uh, personal and it will be uh, privileged. No one will know. One of the things you, anybody must do is ask the therapist, whoever that is, to show you their notes. Uh, I go what, three, four times a year to my doctor, and any doctor I go to immediately hands me their notes with my diagnosis and, and what they found their findings. You ask most therapists of any stripe, they'll ask you, why do you want to know? They'll turn that into a symptom of resistance. It's called resistance. You're resisting uh, uh, their authority. And that's authoritarian. And that's something nobody should accept. Because you must be in control of that relationship, whatever it's called. Whatever you want to call it. So, we're three orphaned, three orphans and three individuals who have a false identity, using the word doctor, therapist. No real honest identity that we can replace it with. I hope this made sense to people. Uh, I enjoy doing these broadcasts. Um, already, I'm sorry, I didn't extend my, my book to include these ideas. But then again, if I hadn't written the book, I wouldn't have had these ideas. And so it will come out. And now I have to figure out whether I want to write another book or just a nice article on the topic, uh, raising these points. And um, see where that goes. In any event, I wish everybody a good evening, wherever you are, and whenever you hear this, whether it's a good day. I wish us all good luck. And I'm going to wait another few seconds, another minute or so, and see if anybody wants to call in and engage in a conversation. If not, I'm going to end the episode... Say hello to my wife who came home from her afternoon activity. Discuss supper. Okay. <laughs>